there. Just a reminder, it is not too late to buy tickets for Ignite 2023. Make sure to lock in our regular ticket pricing now because the prices will increase on September 15th. We'd hate for you to miss out on a good deal. Register today. We absolutely cannot wait to see you in Wildwood in just a few short weeks. Hey there, welcome back to the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast, the podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we are your hosts, James Lee. And Gabby Corbett. And our guest today is uh, the Reverend Lydia Sohn. Uh, Lydia is a pastor uh, serving the United Methodist Church in Walnut, California. She's a sought after speaker. She's a wonderful writer. She has a lot of viral posts on like the Medium and the Huffington Post and places like that. And uh, we are most excited that Lydia will be our speaker for the upcoming Ignite Conference happening in Wildwood, New Jersey on September 29th. Lydia, we're so excited that you are here. Yeah, me too. Thank you for uh, inviting me to this podcast. It's a, it's a nice little taste before the conference. Yes, yes. So you'll get to know us a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So for those folks who don't know who you are but are anticipating Ignite, or this will be the first time that they get to engage with you, can you tell us a little, a little bit about who you are, where your story has been, how you've got to where you are now, just a little bit about who you are and what your journeys look like? Yeah. Um, so I am Korean-American and a woman, as you can see, uh, and that kind of is one of the most essential things that has informed my Christianity. So I grew up uh, in a Korean American evangelical church, which is very common, at least it was in the 1980s for Korean immigrants when they came to the country to first find a place to live and then second, find a church to belong to because that was their primary support system. And so uh, for as long as I can remember, I have been attending church and been a part of a very tight-knit Christian community. Um, and of my earlier life, it was the Korean American evangelical community, which shaped me dramatically. And then uh, my faith took a lot of windy detours, as it does for a lot of folks as they grow up. Mm -hmm. Um, I became in college, I became a religious studies, a religious studies major. And so I started having lots of doubts and questioning, which is also very healthy and common in your teenage years. Right. But at the time I didn't know it, um, left the church for a while, um, and then encountered contemplative Christianity through the, uh, monastic community of Tizay in France through yep. their, uh, chanting and their very simple worship style. And then it just kind of set me on a totally new path where I integrated uh, new all these new ways of thinking into uh, spirituality that I feel that I have today is like truly my own, my authentic own. Yeah. yeah. And um, the reason why I said the woman thing is important was because I never grew up seeing female ministers. You know, like when, when I was a kid, it was always like, older men who were very serious. And so when I first heard the call, like <laughs> that, you know, like just like a seven year old, that's what we see. Yeah. So when I heard the call in college 
for ordained ministry. And that's like when I was like in the throes of questioning everything that I believed. And then also not having a lot of experience knowing a lot of female ministers. I I didn't know what to do with it for a long time. So that was like its own journey in terms of coming to peace with it and what it looks like for me. I'm also a mom of two kids, <laughs> <laughs> Hugh and Ivy, uh, almost four and seven. And, uh, and, and I'm a wife to a wonderful man who's also named James. Oh, that's a very, he has a very nice name. Yeah. yeah. It's, a good name. it's a good, it's a good, <laughs> strong name. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. So, uh, Lydia, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think it's true that our cultural identity, our gender, all these things shape who we are. And you kind of touched upon, um, how. I think churches have historically had struggled with inclusivity. Mm. Um, and so in your view, how can our religious communities become more welcoming and more inclusive spaces? How have you seen that in your ministry context as you began to serve in churches and to live out your faith? Yeah. So I think, I think one thing that I've been learning a lot about as I've been studying the scriptures is uh, in order to be more inclusive, we have to grow in our spiritual maturity. And this is what I mean by that. Um, when I was younger, I was always told that like Christians were the chosen faith, right? And so I was always trying to convert other people. Um, otherwise, you know, they would like go to hell and apparently their destiny was my responsibility as a teenager just like a lot. And, uh, you know, we're always told as Christians that we're, we're chosen and we're special. And recently what I've been finding out in the scriptures is that believers are chosen in so far as they are chosen to be a blessing to everybody else. Right. And it's like repeated throughout the old Testament, like in the aim to Abraham and all of his descendants, I choose you, I bless you, so that you may be a blessing to everybody else. And so I think that for a lot of religious groups, especially like very conservative, fundamentalist, exclusive strains of religion, we forget that other part, right? It's like, oh, we're chosen, we have the special belief. But then we forget the other part of like, oh, we're not more special than others, right? And then the beauty of our faith is that it's meant to bless other people. And so what I like to always um, give out to my church and other Christians is like, how is our faith a blessing to everybody else? How does it make their lives better instead of making everybody feel really crappy about themselves and who they are, right? Like, because I feel like a lot of Christians do yeah. that, right? Like we're, we're kind of known for making others feel bad about they're not doing enough. They don't believe enough. They don't believe the right thing. They're not with the right group. And so I think that as long as we're always asking ourselves the question, how is our faith a blessing to others? It becomes a completely different faith, right? It becomes one that's open, inclusive, welcoming, warm, full of love, which is what it's meant to be. As Jesus said, they'll know that you're Christians by love, not because you have such robust theological thinking or the right beliefs, but because of how you love one another. And, you know, a lot of pastors also put that burden on ourselves. You know, Gabby, maybe you could jump in uh, into this as well, but 
before our dog Gabby and I were going back again to your UMC lead 2019 talk uh, about how God doesn't care about the decline of the mainline churches and how so many pastors tend to put the burden of the kingdom of God on their own shoulders as if what I do, right, will will be, will make or break the church. And yeah. especially during the pandemic, I almost felt like that 2019, uh, 2019 talk was almost prophetic because in 2020, every pastor started really carrying that burden on their own shoulders. Um, but uh, you talk about how ministry is a gift, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a test to see how, how, how much you'll grow the church, but it's a gift. And that really resonated yeah. with me and Gabby, right, Gabby? What do you got? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I sent in James a dissertation on that. Uh, <laughs> you obviously lead talk. One of the things I also found really meaningful and I think ties back into this concept of inclusivity is when you were talking about the 20 somethings, right? Who showed up at your church um, and you sort of look at them and you go, this is it, right? We're, we're going to grow the church. The young people are coming. And the end of that conversation is basically, yeah, we're not coming back. Yeah. And there's this sense of belonging and not belonging in our communities. Like, so I, I've been in ministry uh, since I was 21. Um, and I just, I'll turn 31 this November. And so I, that this whole idea of, you know, do we belong in the congregations that we're serving? This expectation that you said that the cabinet put on you to grow this church because you were up and coming young female pastor. And if we just put this energetic person in this space, right, then the young people will flock. And I think all of us on this call can attest to knowing that that's not really how it works. No. But what can you tell us about creating a sense of belonging in an inclusive community um, that kind of spans just, if you are a young pastor, you will have young people who show up. How do you sort of cultivate a sense of belonging within your own communities? Yeah. Um, so I... I think this is what's important for all of us to remember um, in this age of the declining mainline church and for us church leaders, which will affect youth and the younger generations, is we have to stop caring about if we're attractive to other people. We have mm -hmm. to stop like caring can, about- Can you say that, say that one more time? Say that one more time. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, all yeah. need to hear that again. Just. <laughs> We have to stop caring about if we're attractive to other people. Um, we have to stop caring about our image, about being cool, about wanting to be the community that everybody else wants to join. Like there's enough of that outside of the church world, right? Like Instagram, media, schools, right? It's all about image, what's attractive, what do you wanna join? Like the church is one place where we don't need to think about that. And we've been caught up. We've gotten so caught up of being attractive so that we can get as many people as possible. So here's what I want the youth to, um, to kind of, to go. I want here, here's where, where I want them to go with me when I, at that conference here is I want them to be in a space where they can connect with the spirituality that's unlike anything that they hear 
in their normal lives. Of You don't have to be a certain way or dress a certain way or think a certain way to know how infinitely beloved you are. You don't even have to do anything right or wrong. And that's the kind of foundation that I would love to have a part in instilling in them at that age. Because yeah. when your foundation is strong, it's like a tree, right? Then you grow stronger and bigger and healthier, and then you become a blessing to everybody else. And so that's that's kind of where I want to go with them. Mm -hmm. And that's where I am right now. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's important for right, all of our communities, too, as we kind of face, you know, that big question about whether or not we're relevant. Yes. You know, in the next rate, it does, none of it really matters no. when whether you are 15 or you're 95. Yeah. You feel you belong in a community. If people yeah. see you for who you really are. Yeah. If people give you the space to doubt and to wrestle and to question, if you can show up in the fullness of who you are and that every person is accepted in the fullness of who they are, it drastically changes what a faith community looks like. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, maybe we stop caring about whether or not the mainline denomination is going to exist in 20 years. And we start focusing on do people feel like they belong in our spaces? Are they loved for fully who they are? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the growth of the church is God's responsibility, not ours. Mm -hmm. And I think that our responsibility is just to receive the love of God and to share that with others. And then what form the church takes, what form our own personal lives take is going to be led by God. So we need to get out of God's business, which is what the church is going to look like, what it's going to morph into our second incarnation. And our job is simply to receive God's love and to share that with other people. And that's the piece that we're forgetting to do because we're so caught up in being cool and relevant and growing. And that it's stressing us out, you know? Mm -hmm. Lydia, I'd like to nominate you for Bishop. Oh. <laughs> I think I would not, I would not. I'd be kicked out within like a month. But this becomes the problem, right? Because all of the prophetic leadership that asks us to think differently Right. Can you imagine if you walked into a cabinet meeting and looked at any group of district superintendents anywhere in the United, like in the United Methodist Church and said, it is not our responsibility to grow the church. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the midst of charge conference paperwork right now. <laughs> yeah. With a lot of metrics, yeah. right? Yeah. I know. That's, yeah. That is the reality yeah. of our. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to make a caveat before my yeah. ca members of my cabinet hear this and then they want to strip me of my orders. <laughs> that, that I do think that there's, and I do say this in my lead talk, I do think that there is a lot of space for strategy mm -hmm. and like trying new experiments and new ways. Like there are like certain best practices for ministers that I'm sure you guys are very well aware of, right? Like you need to have a good website. You need to have good communication, right? You need to reach out to every visitor that comes to your church. Like these are like basic. The sermons have right. to be good, right? Like, you know, you don't need to like look cool and be the most attractive church, you know, um, and competing with influencers on social media, but we need to have like basic uh, strategies. 
that make us effective in being able to share the gospel, right? right. Um, but I think, uh, as I shared in my lead talk, like those strategies are just, they're just strategies. It's, it's just a game that we're playing, you know, to yeah. have fun. It's not a determinant of how good we are in ministry, how worthy we are, how beloved we are. It's not even a determinant of whether we're actually called to to ministry, you know? So it, it's just, you know, learning those skills because it's fun to do it and see what happens. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I know a lot of pastors, when they heard the your lead talk, resonated with the sentiment of, oh, they're appointing me a young pastor here because they think I'm young, I'm going to attract young people. But I most resonated with your comment right after that, which was, and I will rise to the occasion. Yeah. I will bring you back to your glory days, I think is what you said. Like that, that was my uh, sentiment in my last appointment. Um, yeah. And, but, but it did, I, I think after I heard your talk, there was a lot of change and a lot of kind of rethinking. It didn't change the way that I did ministry. I was, I'm always mm -hmm. a very strategic person. I love mm -hmm. changing and trying new things, but yeah, just to be free just to release that from attributing that to my value or the yeah. value of my call, but to say, no, this is play. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, that is so totally. liberating. That is so freeing. Yeah. yeah. It's a 1000% play. Hmm. It has nothing to do with your worth. Yeah. Yeah. Which is such a gift. I remember um, right after I got ordained at that time, I was serving as an associate pastor and it was a difficult appointment and I was having a hard time and I, you know, did the thing that everybody told me to do. And I had 57 coaches and a therapist and, you know, a spiritual director. And I, you know, as somebody once said to me, you have too many voices in your head. But one of my coaches said to me that when she got ordained, somebody gave her a watch. She no longer has the watch, but she has the watch that the box came, the, the box that the watch came in. And she keeps it on her desk because the box says options. And that for her was the single most important part of ministry because every day she looked at it and remembered that she had options. Yeah. And that she could leave. Yeah. She could make different choices. She had options and that gave her a sense of agency in the things that felt out of her control. Mm -hmm. And I deeply resonated with that. And so when you in the lead talk were talking about sort of shifting the mindset into viewing an appointment as a gift yeah and the church is a gift that same sort of mindset shift happened in like what if those of us who are competitive overachievers who you know look at appointments sometimes and go oh i will rise to this occasion and i will bring you back to your glory days and sometimes equate sometimes equate our worth with the success that we see in the pews what would it look like if we started thinking about these opportunities as, as gifts mm -hmm. and what gift can we be to the community mm -hmm. and what gift can the community give to right that it just i think that that's an important mindset shift for all of us to start contemplating and engaging with and this concept of playfulness which i think has left the church in droves right we have to be serious christians because this 
is a matter of life or death, right? I will never forget an old white man telling me that when I was going for uh, my ordinate in the ordination process, right? You are dealing with matters of life and death. This is serious business. And it's your, it falls on your shoulders, Gabby. Wait, oh, oh that's right. That's so right. 20-something year old, yeah. <laughs> your shoulders, nobody else's. Nobody else, God plays no part in this. Let's forget about the cost and the resurrection. Yes. Uh, your job to save the entire world. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not, right? And you have to, and there's two responses, like you, me, and James are saying, it's like, on the one hand, we're like, oh, I can do it. Let me be that person. Let me be that that shining. Star Let me be the hero. Yeah. Yes, totally. And then the other part, which is like, okay, I can't do this. This is way too much pressure. You know, it's like, and neither are true. You know, like neither are not help. Neither are helpful. Lydia, last week we talked with someone who had uh, quit ministry after experiencing different levels of trauma, and I think the pandemic was also a time we saw record numbers of early retirements among clergy. Mm -hmm record numbers wow. of quitting among clergy. Yeah. And so mm. I guess my question is what keeps you in ministry? Mm. <laughs> That's my question for you. Yeah. What, why are you still doing this thing that so many people are now quitting and saying, yeah, it's not worth it. Well, um, uh, I do have a good therapist, so that, <laughs> and, and I, did, and I do have a, yeah, I do have a very, uh, you know, I, I try to maintain an, a strong spiritual hygiene of like connecting with God regularly and working out, you know, my struggles. I would say uh, the most helpful thing that my therapist said to me when in all the times I've wanted to quit, which is often, you know, this is just and, and Gabby, I do often tell myself I never have to keep doing this. I'm not obligated. I can do whatever I want. And that yes. freedom actually helps me to stay letting me know I'm never trapped. Right. Um, it's like also dealing with our kids. Like when I tell the kids, like, you don't have to do it, you know, but eating vegetables will make you stronger. You know, you, you don't have to. Right. And they're like, oh, well, now that I don't have to, I suddenly want to. I'm like, okay, great. You know, so I always <laughs> tell myself I don't have to do anything. Um, right. So I think the most helpful thing that my therapist said was he asked what's the hardest thing about being in ministry and i was like the criticisms right mm -hmm. they get a lot of criticisms and it's not even direct it's like we should be doing more of this we should be doing more of that and it's like uh and some of them are indirect criticisms and i'm very very sensitive to that um and it just yeah. makes me want to quit you know because i'm just like and sometimes it is direct criticism like you're disorganized you're not a good leader blah 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 and um, the therapist had such a great response to that. And it was, um, the people who are criticizing you, do they have a lot of time on their hands? And I was like, yeah, they're mostly retired folks who are doing the criticizing. And he's like, mm, how did I guess? So it's not like the busy parent juggling a full-time job with children that are criticizing you. And I was like, no. And he's like, just keep that in mind, right? It's their job to criticize you, okay? People who have time are looking for something to talk about. And if it's giving them joy to gossip about you, give them that joy. Give them that joy. Don't take that joy away from them, 
right? And I was like, oh my God, this is so good. So all of a sudden that flipped from like, oh, I can't handle criticism, which is like, no, it's their job to criticize me. They have time that I don't. And like, it gives them energy to say all the things about me that I could do better. And it gives them joy to do that. And I'm like, great, if that's giving you joy, go ahead and do it. Like, it doesn't affect me as much anymore. Like after I received that perspective, you know? Um, so that helps me. So, and I guess like a more general way of saying this in response to your question, Jane, is just never take things personally. Never, ever, ever take things personally. If people aren't showing up, don't take it personally. If people are criticizing you, don't take it personally. Like just stay in our lane. We're here to do what we've been called, what we believe what we've been called to do, which is spread the love of God that transforms us and everyone around us. You know, if ever, if somebody gives helpful feedback, like, you know, you just eat it like fish, you take the flesh, throw away the bones, whatever, whatever is helpful, utilize it. But again, it says nothing about our works. Mm-hmm. Lydia, I'm, I'm curious what, so you talk about, um, failure yeah. right? and how we should embrace failure in a lot of ways. What has been one of your favorite failures? Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. Nobody has ever asked me that question. Yes. Wow. <laughs> um, Okay, so it was probably uh, when I told my district superintendent, yes, to take that appointment in San Diego to be the new senior pastor of this larger church. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, like 35 at the time. So younger, no, maybe 30, probably younger than that, early 30s. And I was still pretty new. I had just gotten ordained. I didn't know the system well enough. I didn't know how to listen to my inner wisdom well enough. Um, so I was just like, okay, well, you know, and, and he was telling me there's not, there's not a lot of appointments. So this is, the other ones are not as good as this one. So this is the one that you want to take. Um, and so I just trusted all the other voices that were like, this is good, you know, and then something inside me was like, I just, it doesn't feel right. It's not giving me joy, but because everyone else says that I should take it and who am I to say no to the cabinet, to the bishop, then I just need to do it. And from day one, it was like, I had to convince myself to stay there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the ground from which my lead talk grew. Cause I was just in the middle of that and putting a lot of pressure on myself to to fulfill this obligation. And then, but out of that experience where I didn't listen to myself and then struggled for two years, um, and then, you know, had to deal with the aftermath of feeling like I hurt my reputation in some way because other people, you know, kind of saw that. Like I left very quickly, you know, like pe- senior pastors of large churches don't do that kind of stuff, you know? Um, it was great. It was a good experience. You know, like our failures always end up being really wonderful treasures for us because now I never say yes to something where I feel even a hint of concern or yeah. anxiety. I'm like, oh, I listened very carefully now. Um, and so I just say no all the time to invitations, opportunities because 
you know, I learned from that experience. Yeah. Amen. But I'm so glad you said yes to coming to Ignite. So Me too. Yes. <laughs> this one felt this one felt right a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, so, um, what? So, the theme for the Ignite Conference happening uh, on September 29th in Wildwood is belong. So, uh, I guess first, what are you most excited about? I know you kind of touched on already what you were hoping the young folks would take away from the event, but what are you most excited about? I'm so excited to speak to teenager Lydia, who I'm because I like as I'm like writing these talks, right? I'm like, yes. what did, what did 15 year old Lydia need to hear that nobody ever told her? Right. Wow. And so I've been like compiling all of that and be like, Hey, here, here, you know what you guys, like, this is stuff that I needed to hear when I was a teenager and never got. So I'm going to give it to you and you do with it, what, with it, what you will. Right. Nice. Um, so I'm going to talk a lot about the barriers to feeling like we belong, um, which is feeling worthy. And then anger that we have towards others. So forgiveness is going to be a big thing. Um, helping ourselves not compare ourselves with one another. That's a really big thing for teenagers, youth, I think, that keeps them from living joyfully and authentically as their true selves. Um, and then helping them learn that they are the light of the world, that there's a candle within them that's innate, that that they didn't earn. It was just given to them and that they're free to shine. Yeah. Ignite tickets are still on sale. Make sure you pick them up because this is going to be an Ignite conference you don't want to miss. <laughs> and I'm so excited to be there with you guys. Lydia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, and uh, I, I hope that you can come back and we could continue our conversations. Uh, but uh, as we sort of wrap up things, we do have one last question that we ask all of our guests. Uh, Gabby, you want to take it away? You want to do it? Sure. <laughs> okay. Do it. So yeah. we are the Uncovered Dish podcast uh, because we're, you know, Methodist and we love our potlucks. And so the one question that we ask every single guest is if you had to eat one thing for the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, what would that one thing be and why? Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, I had, I just have to say Korean food because it's like, well, first of all, Koreans do eat like basically the same meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like it was only recently that they, that, that breakfast food became its own thing, but it was actually because of Western influence, right? Like now they have like this cereals and sugar bread for breakfast, but it was always like rice soup and vegetables. But the reason is because like, I can just live forever. It's like the health, like so such a healthy balance, right? Rice, mm -hmm. soup, and vegetables, and usually like a little portion of meat or, or fish. And you know, so I'm sorry if I cheated by saying like multiple things, you know, <laughs> but it's basically like the classic Korean meal that I can eat three times a day for the rest of my life and be confident that I'll be healthy and live long. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Just for reference, my answer has always been kimchi jjigae, which is uh, yes, it's like Korean kimchi. Totally. I just want a little bit more pork than kimchi in my breakfast, lunch, and dinner kimchi jjigae pot. So. I could totally have kimchi jjigae three times a day for the rest of my life. Yep. 
Yeah, for I college, I'll just make smell, a. Like, yeah, no one would want to hang out with me, but it's okay. Yeah. I, I got my kimchi chicken. Yeah. No, like yeah. my college day was a big pot. You just simmer it and it lasts you for a week. Yes, totally. Have that yeah, with a drink healthy, and a good. Right? Yeah. It's exactly. like Gwyneth Paltrow is all about like kimchi is a superfood. It's a superfood. Oh, she? Like, great. Yeah. It's like, oh, you just found out? You just found <laughs> out? We've like known this for centuries now. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, Lydia, thank you again for coming on the podcast and uh, for engaging us, uh, engaging with us in this conversation. Uh, where can people find you if they want to connect with you and find your writings? And, and Yeah. So the easiest place is my website uh, that has my blog, my essays, contact form, links to essays. And that is www.revlydia.com. All right. Well, Lydia, thank you again. And we look forward to seeing you in Wildwood at the end of September. See you then. Awesome. All right. Take care. Bye. <laughs>